everybody. Welcome to episode 300 of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling live and direct. 300 episodes is a what a what an accomplishment! Like, dude, we we did it with like no no real fighting, no re- no real drama. We just quietly produce episode after episode, and now we have come to a, a momentous occasion of 300 episodes. It is it is awesome, man. And there's so many people that you know have supported us along the way, so it is great. Uh, I'm really happy to be recording on this 300 episode, man. There's so many people that you know have helped us, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we've got some some OG listeners from almost like day one, like. Anise has been rocking with us for a long time. Long story longer has been rocking with us for a long time. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, backstory. Uh, I worked with her when I used to live downtown. And I, I found out she was uh, making sandwiches for uh, the, the the people in need. And I was like, how do I get involved? And, you know, I, I worked with her for, you know, a year or two doing that, delivering sandwiches every Thursday. Um, so just the, she, she made masks for me and Olga right oh, when the pandemic started. Yeah. Sent one to you as well. Uh, first mask that, that I was, you know, going, going to wear, you know, was obviously blazers themed. So, um, just goes to show the type of person that she is. Uh, Kim Thrasher has been with us for a very long time. Uh, there, there's just, there's so many people to, to thank, uh, and that have been listening to us. I mean, you know, we get Facebook messages from people, in, in Eastern Oregon saying, Hey, I love your podcast. I'm not on Twitter, but like, keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's incredible. Like, I can't believe like the Holy Backboard brand started in 2009, but we didn't really start podcasting, uh, together as a duo until 2015. So to think it's been seven years of pretty much weekly content, like that's, we are now like, in the upper echelon of long running like sitcoms basically like we yeah, we, yeah. we are there <laughs> yeah we need syndication soon man and and like you know i'm going to school for another thing i've i've done broadcasting since 2009 and uh a smart like 21 year old told me that was 13 years so i've been doing this for 13 years and this is kind of like a celebratory thing like 300 episodes is insane so let me shout out some people that have absolutely helped me along the way in these 13 years of doing this um obviously my mom has to be number one she's been my uh, ride or die um but my first ever radio show i had 30 minutes of dead air because they they rushed me through the actual uh onboarding process of becoming a dj and there was one person that actually listened to the entire thing. So I have to shout her out. Shout out to Collab. Shout out to Corey. Shout out to all these people that have rocked with me from aggressive hip hop to sports broadcasting throughout this entire fucking you know, journey of stuff. So, you know, there's so many people I want to shout out. But this isn't I mean, this is a thing for you and I to create. But it wasn't just us. There was people that, you know gave us support when we needed it. So thank you to everybody who's ever listened or, you know, is going to listen because this is the 300th episode. This is the, this is a one hell of an accomplishment. 
And we can't forget Teen Mom, Tara. Oh, yeah. Tara, Tara, was, Tara was one of the OGs, too. Like, I remember talking to her, like, year one, you know, like, all of these years have been, like, kind of, like, jumbled together. Like, you know, when I when I think of years past, I think of, like, Blazers additions of subtractions. Like, oh, this is the year that we spent all that money on Evan Turner. This is all the year that we uh, we uh, drafted Zach Collins like that. That's that's crazy to think about Blazers things that we covered as actual dates and times for 2017, 2018 or whatever. We started in 2015. I know, dude, I was I was in my mid 20s when we started. Yeah, you're, you're an old panda now, yeah, bro. Like, just think, though. I started doing this, not this, but like broadcasting when I was 18. I'm 31. That's more of my life than like doing anything else. Like I've been talking, you know, or explaining why this aggressive ass hip hop is so cool. Like, you know, it, it's been a while of doing this. And, you know, you're closing in on getting those uh, AARP mailers that, that come to my house, you know, every other month. Dude. <laughs> A couple years ago, I was creating content for them. So, like, it's it's pretty awesome to uh, right here, right now, to talk about all of the things that have happened. So, yeah, three hundred. Let's 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 get three hundred more. And with the draft just twenty days away, we only have a few more episodes of our Future Friday podcast. It will continue uh, in the next draft cycle, but for this draft cycle, I believe we only got two or three left. So this will likely be the last episode where we break down individual prospects. We're going to have an episode where we discuss our our big boards, whether that's you know top twenty, top twenty five, maybe even top thirty. Then of course we will have our final in depth mock draft the Friday before the NBA draft. But we would be remiss if we did not kick off this episode with one of our favorite prospects of this entire draft cycle. It is none other than Jalen Williams from the University of Arkansas. He is a power forward slash center, stands at 6'10", has a 7'1 wingspan, weighs 237 pounds, uh, 19 years old, will be 20 uh, just about a week after the draft from Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, a prospect that we see uh, more value in than I think almost any other outlet out there. He is number 52 on Tankathon's big board, not ranked on the Ringers' big board. Uh, the the season stats for Jalen uh, b- basically averaged a double-double, 10 points, 10 boards, uh, a little over a steal, a little over a block, almost three assists per game, uh, shot 46% from the field, 24% from downtown, 73% from the line, played in 37 games for the Razorbacks, uh, nearly 32 minutes a game, and had a player efficiency rating of 18.9. Uh, a lot of accolades for uh, Jalen this year. He was first team all SEC as voted on by the coaches. He was SEC all defense, again, voted by the coaches, an academic honor roll. Uh, He led the NCAA in drawing 54 charges, so he did that in 37 games, which is incredible. Uh, He set the Arkansas single-season record for total rebounds with 364 uh, and rebounds in SEC games, 183. 
He had 16 double-doubles, including seven in a row and each of the Razorbacks' four NCAA games, which was uh, including the upset of the top-seeded Gonzaga Bulldogs at the time. Sage, why do we love this kid so much? What are we seeing that, that others just aren't? We look at centers now, and there's Jokic, and there's Embiid, and they're, they're playmaking hubs for their offense. Obviously, Jalen isn't that level, but his passing creates so much positive offensive momentum that it's a rare thing for a big to be that good of a passer. And I remember t- trying to convince you that Travion Williams was going to be a DHO operator and a playmaking hub for an offense. And I, I, I still believe that he is amazing as a passer, but Travion's going to get exposed defensively. Jalen can do all the things passing wise that Travion can, but won't be an absolute train wreck as a defender. So you look at what Grant Williams is doing. You look at what even Kevon Looney's doing. You look at what Draymond Green's doing with the passing and the playmaking. That's where Biggs, of course, rebounding's great, but like being able to be a playmaking big just creates so many mismatches. Even look what Yusuf Nurkic does when he's not trying to create a passing lane and that isn't there. That type of offense is so rare to have. And he has so many rare attributes that, yeah, you should, he should be bumped up to the second center on the board because of all the rare things that he does on the basketball court. There's not that many bigs that you can trust doing DHOs and passing it to cutting players. It's just, it is of such a rare commodity that you see one that's ranked 55 and you're just like confused on why he's that low. Yeah. To, to me, uh, Jalen is going to be an elite role player at the next level. I think I project him as a small ball five, but he can get away playing the four if the center can stretch the floor alongside of him. Uh, what I really enjoyed about Jalen, and he was a player that I would tune into Arkansas games just to watch him. Not not to watch the opponent, not, not to watch maybe some of his, his teammates. Arkansas had a really fun team this year, coached by Eric Musselman. And they were dominant at home in the SEC, but I would tune in just to watch this big man play basketball. Um, Arkansas gave him a lot of responsibility on offense and defense. He, he was their, their anchor uh, on both ends of the floor. Uh, since you led with it, let's talk about his, his offense. Um, I think he's very comfortable with the ball in his hands. There were multiple times where a team would zone up Arkansas and he would just float to the middle of the key, foul line extended, and Arkansas would initiate the offense through him, put the ball in his hands, asking him to make the right read. Uh, he just makes a smart pass. Um, incredible basketball IQ on both ends of the court. Just, just a very savvy player. Like we, we talk about feel for the game. I don't know if there's anyone that has a higher feel for the game, maybe on the same level, but he has an incredible uh, feel for the game. And he's mobile. Like that's the thing when you look at these bigs is that they might be a little bit slow, slow prodded or heavy footed, not, not Jalen. Jalen can, can move up and down the floor and in the offense, when he's not uh, initiating it with the ball in his hands, he is a threat out of the pick and roll. Uh, he showed really good standstill pick and pop uh, ability from three and 
he showed really great rim running uh, potential as well. And he knows how to finish uh, with uh, Thunder. So I, I really like that. Uh, I just like the versatility that he provides on offense. He's going to be a low usage player who you don't have to run offense for. You're not going to post him up. You're not going to have to do anything. He's going to create for himself and for others. Um, I, I just, I just think he's got, I think he's got everything you want. I think when you're, when you're watching him, uh, this is what I put on my notes. He is the prototypical love, hate player. I think you're going to love to have him on your team and you're going to hate to play against him. Like in a sense, like there's a lot of Draymond in there because I know everyone would love to have Draymond green on their team. But when you, you watch him, you're like, God damn, there's Draymond drawing another charge. There's Draymond stripping the ball, making the right read. Like you just, why, why can't that player be on our team? Like teams are going to have a chance to find a real diamond in the rough in Jalen Williams. And that's really only on the offensive side of the ball stage. I think he really excels at least at this point in his development on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he might be the biggest flopper I've seen in the college game for a long time. He's aggressive with drawing charges, aggressive and, and- Honestly, I haven't seen a big do that in a very long time since Boogie Boogie was in his prime. He would do that. So he's going to be a menace to any penetrating guard because he's absolutely willing to flop. I remember there was a, a, a little segment about him having like extra protection to uh, handle all of these, these flops or drawing charges. If he's willing to sacrifice his body for you, he's willing to play good defense. He's going to rebound at a at a good clip because he's getting a double-double damn near every game. He provides everything that you need and NBA fans are clamoring for. It's right here in Jalen Williams. You don't have to look that far. Like there, there's plenty of centers that in this in this class like have potential. And that's great, but you see somebody that provides all of these high-level defensive attributes, offensive attributes at 55, like consensus boards are wrong on him. He is in my first round, really like top, I think 17 right now. So he's 17 for me. Exactly 17 for me. Yeah, like it's Jalen then EJ. Like he provides something that's so rare and Everybody clamors for it in the playoffs when you see these bigs make big plays defensively and offensively. It's right here with Jalen Williams. But well, he I, may not be the traditional, I think, rim protector that maybe a Walker Kessler or Mark Williams is, but he excels at, at the weak side and chase down blocks. Um, he really moves his feet well. I, I think when comparing him to those other bigs uh, in the class, I think he moves about as well as anybody, um, including J- Jalen Duren. Jalen Duren probably has more, a little bit athletic potential. Like he has better close, closing speed. Closing speed, but Williams is, is really mobile out there, and that's really what you want. You want to have a defender that is able to go out and guard these these guards. Even look at a uh, Robert Williams last night in Game One of the Finals. He was up towards a three point line on on Curry, but that didn't matter in that first half because Steph was just launching as soon as he got off of that that pick and roll. So you Mm. need a big that can comfortably go out there, use length, use their size and take away these long range, you know, jump shooters that are continuously, you know, 
pouring into the league at, at a, just a, a rapid rate. So I just think everything he gives, he's going to be just an intangible player. Like every team is going to need a Jalen Williams. Uh, and I think whoever drafts him is just going to be making out like, like bandits. Yeah. Like I, I feel like he's the new era PJ Tucker. Like if, if he can develop a consistent corner three, he's PJ Tucker of the 2020s. And you see how PJ is on every playoff team imaginable. PJ with four inches on him. True. Yeah. You, you get, you get the height and, you know, all the intangibles and the passing. Like he's just, he has a chance to be the super role player in the playoffs. That is just every team is clamoring for him. You know, the, the, everybody loves Grant Williams. Now you couldn't tell me that Jalen Williams wouldn't be doing the same shit. Or remember when Xavier Tillman in his rookie year was the, the, the role player du jour Jalen can do that. So I, I I'm confused why consensus boards have him so, so low, but you know, we, when you see these guys like Jalen Williams, Ryan Rollins and Dalen Terry, and I guess Terry now isn't a second round pick. But now now though, scouts are finally coming around to Terry. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen any first round grades on Ryan or Jalen, but when you see those guys and you, you know, you see them, you see what they can do. It's kind of scary to say, you know what? I'm going to push my chips in on these two prospects. And it looks like we're crazy now talking about the 56th pick and tank as a first round guy easy. But when you see this skill set, you got to just screw what the consensus boards say. This guy is good. He's going to be there in the playoffs. I, he is a playoff end of f- the last five minutes of the game role player that is going to make plays <clears throat> in the next level. So that's why I'm all about it. Like, I'm willing to place a bet on Jalen Williams and Ryan Rollins that they those two are going to outproduce people that are drafted way ahead of them in the first round. I would uh, not take you up on that bet because I am right alongside uh, with you. Um, moving on to uh, another prospect, uh, one of the top international prospects in this draft, uh, Nikola Jovic. Not not to be uh, not to be um, known as Nikola Jokic, but both from Serbia. Jovic plays for uh, Mega Bmax, uh, small forward, uh, power forward, 6'11", a little over seven foot wingspan, weighs 223 pounds, uh, 18 years old, will be 19 in uh, probably about a week here. Uh, He's from Belgrade, Serbia, uh, number 28 on the ringers big board, 22 on tankathons. Uh, season stats were kind of all over the map for, for Jovic. So I'm not going to run them down. Just different, different outlets had different numbers for, for different, uh, seasons, because when you're international, you're playing in different, different leagues and you're playing in the, the under 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's only 18. And that, that's the thing that I kept going back to when I was, when I was watching the, this prospect only 18. And I think that that's important because, Usually when you're playing internationally, you're playing against grown men. Mm-hmm. And 
it's kind of what we're seeing with the G League uh, Ignite as well. And you have to understand that while these players may not be as skilled as some of the top level collegiate players physically, it's more of what you're going to see at, at the next level. Um, what, what I noticed right off the bat for, from Jovic was just a beautiful looking jump shot, uh, a quick release. He was able to shoot it off the bounce or off of the catch. So you have a player who is kind of your prototypical modern big man who was able to stretch that floor, but he also was able to put the ball on the floor. He had a really solid handle for a player of his age and his size. Uh, what, what I saw time and time again on tape was he loves dribbling to a spot, kind of stopping on a dime, getting a little separation, and then doing that, that Dirk one-legged fall away, which is not surprising. I mean, Dirk is arguably the greatest international player of all time. So you've got kids, uh, especially probably from Europe, following the NBA, watching yeah, emulating him, emulating, seeing what he does. And now that's going to be a part of, you know, NBA, you know, games for decades to come. I mean, it generates a lot of space. He and he has got he's got that good wingspan. So I mean, you don't have to be. So he's not going to jump off of the page at you with his athleticism. And so that's where the the fall away comes from. And Dirk was never going to jump off the page with his athleticism either. But he was crafty, and he just re re uh, retuned and refined his shot year after year to where it didn't matter if he had a hand in his face. If he got the ball out of his fingertips, it was likely going in. Um, but I still think like, like a young Nowitzki, uh, Jovic moves pretty well for, for a player of his size. Now he's, he's not going to be a lockdown defender. Uh, right now he, he does struggle in space, especially on ball. So you, I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus defender. And I think that's, what's probably keeping him in the, in the later part of, of the first round of the draft. But on, on tape, he does look like he can he has some awareness off ball and playing the passing lanes and kind of being a disruptor on that end, which kind of generates his offense because he has really good grab and go potential, able to initiate the break with that handle. He just there are a couple of comparisons that that really kind of jumped out at me when I first watched and I was like, OK, this guy reminds me a little bit of Kyle Anderson, but with a jump shot. And then I was reading other scouting reports and somebody was like shades of Danilo Gallinari. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense too. So you can kind of get the idea of what type of prospect you're getting in Jovic. Clearly he's got to get stronger. I mean, but again, and I go back to that only 18 years of age, you can get someone in the weight room, you can get them on a program and you can build them up, you know, one to two years and they'll be ready to contribute. So you know, I think he's still pretty raw and he really needs to learn a lot on the defensive side of the, especially the NBA game. But I love his ability to move without the ball. He finds openings to score, strong playmaking potential. If he plays with one to two, you know, players who have a really large gravitational pull and he can be that fourth or fifth best uh, starter. He's going to get some open looks. He's going to spread that floor. He's he's going to be a valuable contributor. So, you know, I, I understand exactly why these these uh, scouting sites have him in, in the first round. He's definitely a first round prospect for me. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to be like the. I, I don't know if he hits Gallinari or if he becomes, you know, a, a faster Kyle Anderson. But at 18, 
I, I I've liked enough of what I saw of him to be like, yeah, I would invest a four-year contract into Nikola Jovic, uh, especially with the success you're starting, not starting to see, but the continued success of the international prospects. It just seems like there's more of a foreign flair in the NBA as the days go by. I mean, we're seeing MVPs. I mean, I, I can't remember the last American born MVP stage. I mean, it's just, it's Giannis and, and, and Nikola Jokic, like Embiid is a, is a menace. Like we've seen Dirk win the finals MVP, Dirk mm-hmm. arguably a top five power forward of all time. You know, you go back to even Sabonis and Petrovic, like this is coming. Like we're, we're going to see a handful of, foreign prospects just really take over the league and earn roster spots and rotational minutes. So if, if a team can invest in Jovic and can see the vision that, okay, by year three, we're going to have a spot for him and he's going to be ready. He's going to, we're going to develop him in our program. That's the spot for him to go. I don't think you draft him. If you need somebody right away, you draft him with the hopes of, I like what I see now, but with a little fine tuning and polish, I mean, this this kid could really shine. So you mentioned the shades of players. Like, does he have that craft that Kyle Anderson and Danilo is one of the best one v one players in the generation? So can he generate offense himself and then create? Is that something that you see a potential of him being like the secondary guy on on a team? Oh, for sure. I think you can definitely have him bring the ball off the court, initiate the offense. He he makes the the smart read. Like he does make some uh, bad passes at times, but again, 18 though. 18. And yeah. you know, when you do have the ball in your hands, we, I mean, we've seen it year after year. The the, the, the league leaders and turnovers are, are the players that have the ball in their hands, whether it's it was Steve Nash, Nash or mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook or you know, whoever. But uh I, I really I, I like the kid. I don't think. Where is he on your board? Twenty-three. Nice. So, so I mean, there's there's definitely the potential of like anytime there's secondary potential, you have to take a look at it. That's why, that's why I value that playmaking so high. It if you can create for others, your stock and your potential of does he have a potential of stardom? Uh, maybe one way stardom. I don't know if he's ever going to be a lockdown, a two way. Would two-way. he be a net neutral defender at his at his peak, or would he still be a little bit of a negative? I I, I couldn't answer that. Like it's it's easy to say, and we've we've seen this over time. If someone's you know needs to hit the weight room, that tends to happen with with work ethic. When it comes to lateral quickness, I don't know the science behind that. How that's how players are able to improve that if it, if they're just born with it naturally or or whatnot. You know, some people have quick hips, some people, you know, aren't able to, to turn their hips or they have fast feet. Um, so I, I, I couldn't say, mm. but I, I do think with, with time, he could become more intelligent defensively and, and at least be a net neutral off ball defender. Like I, I, I have a hard time thinking he's going to ever just like, shut it down on, on that defensive end. I, I don't see that, but when you say like net neutral, like there were times last night where Robert Williams was a net neutral net negative defender because he mm-hmm. couldn't get out on Steph, but that's not a deterrent to Robert Williams. He's a fantastic defender. It's just that there are some players in this league, like Steph Curry, where no one's guarding them when they're feeling yeah, like that. So it's w- terms like net neutral and net negative, like 
it all pertains to context. Mm-hmm. So it, it's tough. I, I couldn't give you uh, an answer for that, but but I will say in four or five years, I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting on, on a really good team and he's he's doing things that, that Gallo did. I mean, shit, I remember Gallo taking that Clippers team to the playoffs with Doc Rivers, so. And he was tough with the Nuggets, too. Yeah, he, he was a bad mother. He was a bad motherfucker. So are we going to. Do you want me to talk about J.D. or are we going to leave the biggest disagreement uh, for last? What, what do you want me to what do you want to talk about next? J.D. or Pat? Let's let's just get get going on Patrick Baldwin uh, Jr. So he is a a freshman, uh, stands about 6'10", almost 7'2", wingspan, weighs 231 pounds uh, from uh, Sussex, Wisconsin, uh, is 19 years old, played at Milwaukee under the the head coach of his his father was the head coach, five-star recruit. Uh, Duke was recruiting him pretty heavily, decided to stay home and play for his dad. Uh, It did not really work out for... um, Pat this year just played in 11 games, uh, averaged a little over 12 points, uh, almost six rebounds, uh, slightly under in, in, in a block and a steal per game, 1.5 assists, shot 26.5% from three, 34.5% from the field, and uh, 74.5% from the foul line. Uh, played in about 29 minutes per game and had a player efficiency rating of 13. Uh, point nine. Uh, you have a higher. Uh, I want to hear your negatives first. Uh, but yes, okay. I'm I'm much higher. I'm much yeah. higher. Um. So when I was watching him, uh, did you watch clips or did you watch the full game and torture? Yourself? I'm not watching. This is like we are on the last of the last, right? This is we've been doing this since January. We're talking about four prospects a week. I, I got I got some stuff to do, so I'm I'm not about to watch Milwaukee basketball. Okay. So. They're, they're, they're the worst there. team I've ever seen. So with that said, I did spend about an hour watching him though. So I was watching floor and ceiling and he had, I think the best way to uh, surmise Patrick Baldwin at this point. And I think it articulates both my stance on him and your stance on him as a player. Patrick Baldwin is more of an idea than a reality at this point. And I love that because you see a player who is, 6'10", long, has a nice jump shot. And you're like, okay, yeah. But the, when he gets on the floor, none of that really comes through. It, it's To me, he's a just a long way away from ever contributing. Reminds me immediately of Perry Jones III. Mm-hmm. Perry Jones III was a top-rated prospect. Okay, I thought school. it was going to be – I think I called him the low-budget KD. Yeah, I mean, everyone, like, you get that long, lanky guy who could shoot from three. Perry Jones, I believe, went to Texas A&M, just busted. Had, was a second-round pick of the Thunder. Everyone thought they may have got the steal of the draft, and he just, he never materialized. Some players just peak at the high school level. So that's kind of where I'm at with Patrick Baldwin. Like, I think it's just high school hype. Um, He's a pretty jump shot when it's set, but outside of, like, of putting the ball on the floor, any sort of movement, like the shot selection was terrible. Uh, he needs to get stronger. He missed short so many times. He missed wild. I mean, really, n- nothing was really consistent about his game. 
Um, I, I thought the handle needs an incredible amount of work. Uh, he was unable to get separation even in the horizon league, which is scary. Um, I know he played on a bad team, but Damian Lillard played on a really bad Weber state team and was still able to look good. CJ McCollum took Lehigh and beat Duke. We're talking about Ryan Rollins, both in our first round. Mm-hmm. Toledo's not a great team either, but we see what Ryan Rollins is able to do. So, but you're mentioning three guards that have <clears throat> playmaking ability. I, I'm just saying for this kid who was projected to go top 10, um, I understand there might have been some situations, you know, you look at Zaire Williams last year at Stanford, uh, Brandon Boston at Kentucky really had disappointing years, but both had good, good years this year in the NBA. So there, there is a chance it, it clicks for, for, for Patrick Baldwin jr. But um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I personally would not use a first round draft pick and a four year guaranteed contract on this player. If he slips to 59, Sure. Roll the Jesus. dice on him. There are so many other prospects that I like in this draft that I, I just, I, I don't see it. Like I watched him and I was just like, so like, I was like, really? Like that's, that's, that, that was just my Patrick Baldwin. I, I just, he just didn't look happy. Maybe, maybe a change of scenery. Yeah, well, he, he's playing on the most dog shit team. He chose oh. to do that though. Yeah. He, he chose to do that. He didn't have to play for his father. How do I talk about this? I don't. I don't think you're the YouTube guy watched Patrick Baldwin. To be completely honest, I don't think he did. An hour was enough, and I was like, no more. I need. I need <laughs> okay. to okay. my time. I, I think the person that you watched their YouTube didn't watch him enough. Um, no, to be completely okay. honest. I mean, he's, he's falling, Sage. That's fine. I. You know what? I'm willing to bet on Patrick Baldwin. I know that he just had the worst combine ever, and I get that. I'm willing to bet on the 6'10 guy that has skill set and is a, is a good shooter. I know that statistics don't say that he is, but he had every bit of the only guy that can stop, that can beat us, is Patrick Baldwin. Let's send every bit of pressure at him. I remember saying this with Tyrese Maxey, that he was the only shooter on Kentucky. That's why his shooting percentage was so low. There's a, there's context to it. And I know that I think that there was a problem with the initial ranking of him because he isn't a top five guy. He is he isn't that level. He's not a creator, super dominant guy. He's a guy that's going to take advantage of creation that somebody else makes and he's going to use his shooting ability, which I believe in, and and spread the floor. I think that he is a plus-plus passer, and the reason that his assist levels were so bad was because his teammates couldn't make open shots. When I watched him, I, I kind of saw like a Hito Turkoglu level passer where, yeah, he didn't have the greatest ISO uh, to create, but he would find the right passer when he got to the lane, he would make the right pass. I I'm willing to bet on him as an offensive connector. Like there's no way he's ever going to be that number one option. There's no way he's going to be that number two, but if you're looking for a guy that can shoot and make the right pass and, and do all the right things. Like I watched him. He was the only guy that could beat a two, three zone on his team 
So I, I believe in the intelligence that he has. I believe in the shot. I think the passing is so underrated. Like when he makes that right pass, he makes the right skip. He's going to be a guy that gets the ball, makes a quick, fast decision, gets it to the player that needs to get the ball, and he's going to stretch the floor. I know that this year was extremely difficult for him. That Milwaukee team could not make a pass out of a 2-3 zone. It, it, it was just a bad team. So, of course, context is going to make him look bad, but I believe in the playmaking abilities of him, and I believe in the shot. He He's going to be a third or fourth guy on a team. That's why I have him at, like, 18. He's after EJ Liddell. I mean, I'm going to bet on the guy that has tools. Um, he has a bag off offensively. Like, I think the biggest problem is going to be from the three-point to the basket. But he has craft finishes as well. So I think his offense is great. His defense, kind of bad. I've seen him make – he made stock plays where he got steals and blocks. But I think his intelligence is going to keep him on the floor defensively because I, I I think he's a very smart player. But, yeah, watching that those two those two or three Milwaukee games while I ate lunch this week was one of the most painful experiences I've ever seen in my life. That team was – rock awful but i i I see a a guy that's a plus offensive player and uh, a plus passer i always worry about players who are considered shooters and just can't shoot the basketball in game and what we're talking yeah milwaukee is a bad team but it's not like their schedule was murderous row he shot only 50 percent one time this year and that was a one for two performance no schedule their schedule included north dakota eastern kentucky florida Bowling Green State, Robert Morris, Colorado, Rhode Island, Green Bay, Purdue, Fort Wayne, Cleveland State, and Northern Kentucky twice. Okay. If if we if we count the one for two performance, he went nine for 14 against Robert Morris. So really he, one time he was on he shot fire 50%. One time. And he I guess he shot you're yeah, your team's bad, but you're supposed to be 6'10. You're supposed to be a five-star guy. Like but he isn't a five-star guy. Then, like, then I, I don't see how, if he's not a five-star player, then how is he still so high on your board when like 18, like that, that's, that's a really good rating. Like that's higher than I've seen anybody give him. So that's why I was a little surprised that you have him that high. Well, I, I don't see him as a, like, I feel like a five-star guy is like super high usage. All like Jaden Ivey. I, I see him as a third guy that is going to stretch the floor and pass really well. I mean, how many five-star guys are there every year? It's it's a pretty lofty accomplishment for you to be a uh, five-star guy. Um, but I, I I definitely see a good basketball player when I when I watch him. I, I guess the swing skill is going to be. Is he a um, uh, a actual shooter or uh, a uh, shooter in my mind? But when I watched him shoot, the shot's pretty. It's sustainable. But, like, I, I, I just think that the added pressure of him being the only option on offense makes it so the defense can key in on him. And I know that it's a low-level uh, environment, but – having 100% of the uh, defensive attention 
it's going to affect everybody. So I, 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 yeah, I, if you're thinking Pat Baldwin is going to be a superstar, you're going to be really upset. But if you're going to say that he isn't like worthy of a first round pick or he doesn't have a role in this league, I think you're wrong on that. I think it's somewhere in the middle where if you're looking for that fourth guy on offense, Pat Baldwin can do it. I, I just don't see him in the league in the next four years. I there's two, there's I, so I many the, have league, a long the league is elite. The league is elite. So that doesn't mean he's not like good at basketball. It's just, I don't think he's an NBA player. Like there's the talent level every year continues to rise. Like he needs to just step it up and you believe he will. I, I don't think, think he will. That's just the, the, the bottom line. Like he I'm has potential to do six, it. A six ten guy with, with a, a sweet stroke. And there are a ton of players like that. That don't make the league. You have to like, I go back to Luke Babbitt. Yeah, he was like 6'9", knocked down every shot in practice that I went to. I mean, just was money. Got in the games and just was a completely different player. And I know they're completely different players, but in just in that sense, like Luke Babbitt was a fucking great basketball player. Not an NBA basketball player, but like go to any park and probably take a lot of people's money. I think Baldwin could do that too. But like the NBA is elite. So I, I just, I think he's going to have to, Figure something out. Uh, maybe it was just a bad year for him. And if he does, I mean, that's good has- on him. But I, I, I don't. I didn't see it. Like I, I think he was overrated in terms of his high school ranking, and maybe that played into just everything. And maybe he can be a role player in the league. Uh, I, I just personally wouldn't spend a first round pick on a player with so much quote unquote potential, but didn't show me anything. Like if you're going to have potential, like I need to see something. I got to, I got to get a little bit of a taste. I just, I left really hungry watching Patrick Baldwin. Well, I, I, I think that that is the, the difference between watching full games and clips. I get to see you have the, uh, you, you're watching stuff under the bias of somebody else, not your own. So when I watched the Rhode Island game, the Colorado game, and the Robert Morris game, I was like, okay, they're sending a legit, like in the Colorado game, they're sending a legit defender at him. Yeah, he's having trouble, but that legit defender is spending 100% of it. Like there is no help side defense. He's getting every bit of defensive pressure. He isn't a number one or a number two. He's a number three offensive player. You know, context matters. He is. He, I think he was probably in the worst situation imaginable for a, a, a high-valued player. And, yeah, he's going to get the negative attention, but the way that he can run an offense and told how his teammates how to play and how obviously they weren't skilled enough to actually do it, but I, I, I think the basketball IQ and the, the will keep him in the league. Maybe. I know. You know what? I'm not even going to say a maybe. I think he's going to make it. All right. Let's move on to JD. (laughs) Okay. This is the number one thing that stood out to me with JD. He played on the Bama team. I assume a pretty damn high recruit for Bama. He is not my prospect, just to let everybody know. He is from Bama, five-star recruit, one of the top – point guards in the class. The thing that stood out to me was his athleticism. Let me pull the actual notes that I have of him. 
So his points per game was 8.5 points per game, 4.3 assists, 4.8 rebounds a game. He was extremely, extremely athletic. And the, the bounce and his quick first step, I think, are super duper elite. Like, he... He, he's one of those prototypical explosive guards that you see in college and in the NBA where like he's relying 100% on his athleticism. I think that as a defender, he is a high level point of attack defender. I'm trying to get all the positives out of the, the way right now, the change of direction. Okay. Well, I'm going back to often change of direction as a dribbler, was really interesting how he exploits defenders. I think that he can get to the rim whenever he wants in the next level because of the bounce, the athleticism, the, the package, the dribble package, the dribble package. And I think that his vision is really great when he's driving. So like when that help comes because he is a high level athlete, he's able to pass it well. And it's in the right, the, the passes in the right places for the offense, I have serious, serious issues with the shooting. I think he's one of the worst decision makers when it's not on the drive because his turnover numbers were insane. But if you're looking for a guy that has all the tools in the world to be that athletic playmaker, JD is that guy. But the shot is is bad. It needs to be way more consistent. The mechanics of it, the, the form is pretty trash but when i watched him and we've obviously seen this guy play this year but i saw dennis smith jr and with the high come high outcome out uh high outcome outcome as eric bledsoe so he he's not on my first round but he was one person that i was interested in because of the all the tools that he has but i don't think that he's an actual first round quality player. But if you wanted to take a risk on somebody that could be a point of attack defender and play make at a pretty damn good level, if you can uh, cut out the passing, you have it in JD, but no, he was not one of my prospects, but he was one of the prospects that I watched. Well, yeah, you said you watched him a while ago. So we figured we would add him here. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't spend any time on JD. I, I only saw him in passing, whether Alabama was playing Arkansas or Auburn, and I didn't really... He's one of those guys I wish would stay in college and develop. But I I believe he already said that, you know, goodbye to Auburn, or at Bama, he's going to to the league. I think that that is a pretty big mistake, because if he has more years, he can develop into something. You see the leap for so many players, but the tools as a as a pure athletic playmaker are absolutely there. The decision-making has to improve, but He's got all those tools that you see in those guards that are super uh, high-level athletes. So <clears throat> it's not again, a good year to be a point guard. Was up? Yeah. It, none, none of the top point guards can shoot. Uh, Ty Ty, Kennedy Chandler, JD. Like it just seems like the two things you want out of a modern-day point guard: can you shoot the basketball and can you make your teammates better? And it just seems like those are two weak points for for JD Davidson. So yeah, I, I would have a I would be upset if my team took a player like that in the first round yeah 
All right. Well, I think that about wraps up this episode of Future Friday. We will be back next Friday, probably to talk about our big boards, um, see where we agree, where we disagree, who the biggest discrepancy. Um, I've had some changes uh, to mine recently. My top four is completely different now. I think yours is as well. So it'll be interesting to see where we have the players uh, ranked. I'm thankful there's no more uh, scouting to do. Uh, They're fun, but they are so time consuming, especially Mm -hmm. when we're trying to pack in the players um, that continuously rise or fall up the boards and, you know, try, try to get to, you know, a full first round of players that you feel comfortable knowing about, but I'm glad we started in January. Maybe we start a little bit earlier next year. And uh, it's also a very busy sports season. So you've got WNBA, MLB, uh, NBA finals. So it's definitely finding time like to watch that some of these players uh, has been a challenge for me. So I'm glad to just talk about players that that we have scouted and known and can just kind of get to the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, watching watching Milwaukee of Wisconsin play basketball was one of the most draining experiences I've ever ever done as a uh, basketball fan. But you know. <clears throat> Most of the time, most of the discussion is about those top five, six players in in these analysis. So I, I like the fact that we talked about guys with legitimate flaws in their game, like not being able to shoot and high turnover rate or, you know, played on the worst team possible. And as a five-star recruit, you know, how does that impact the draft rate? So I, I think that... <clears throat> We, we as um, fans think about that first, but when New Orleans got Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado, those two were humongous, you know, players for them. And, you know, like Jose is going to make Devontae Graham and Kyra Lewis expendable. He was a, he was a non-drafted player. There's skill, the lottery pick. Yeah. There's skills, skilled players. I mean, the fact that the guy that we, talked about in the most glowing is rated 55 on Tangathon. Like those hot, those, those picks matter in the second round. So I'm glad that we're actually doing the, uh, the due diligence on them. Cause I don't think a lot of people are talking about, uh, you know, Jay, Jalen Williams They're they're talking about Dyson Daniels and Benedict Matherin, but we, we went down to the dirt and talked about those players that, you know, are going to be there at 56. In your world, Pat Baldwin will be there. Might be. I'm going to put some money on the fact that he'll be a first-round pick when when DraftKings is able to do that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I am a hungry boy. It is 1 p.m. Thank you to, for listening to our 300th episode. Thank you to all the people that have uh, supported us throughout the years. Peace.